Now, I know I'm teaching long, so if you need to um, if you need to take a break or something or slip out, please don't feel any pressure to um, uh, stay in. I will not be offended. Okay, I I would like to go to Numbers chapter six. And talk about um, biblical essentiality. What, why, why is it so important? Why are we so adamant on some things? You know, um, there are lots of things that define us. Like the oneness of God defines us. In, in view of everything else in the culture, that defines us. But sometimes we forget that there's another thing that marks us out as well. It's called the doctrine of essentiality. It's where we say, uh, you must be born again of water and spirit. And, and uh, guess what? You, when he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy, that's not an option. You can't change that or anything. That's absolutely pivotal in terms of understanding what God wants us to do and be. All right? And uh, so I want to go to Numbers chapter 6, one of my uh, favorite passages And this is probably going to start odd for you, but I promise we're going to end in a good spot. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise, uh, literally in the Hebrew, this is the exact way, that you shall bless the children of Israel. How? Saying unto them, The Lord, and, and, and be careful to look there, that's all caps in the KJV, to show you that's the name of God pronounced over them. The Lord bless you. Uh, the Lord keep thee, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And then catch this next phrase. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. All right, now, have you ever been reading through the Bible and you hit a verse like, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved? And you're like, hmm. Am I the only one? I mean, I grew up and I was thinking, boy, that sounds like a Billy Graham crusade. Am I the only one? All right, so uh, ultimately what that means is we, we need to know, is this just the line distinction, this whole thing about baptism and, and what it entails? Well, I want to show you that it's the concept of invoking or calling the name of God over people, places, and things it sh- uh, shows the importance uh, of the act as it applies to covenant. So if you're going to be in relationship with God, ultimately, God calls his name over people, places, and things, right? And that's going to speak uh, uh, concretely to us. So from the beginning, it was part of the human divine relationship and continues even to now. So the question is, what happens at baptism, right? And, and or to put it another way, what does the Bible mean when it says a calling upon the name of the Lord? All right, now I'm going to throw a little language at you. That's okay. Buckle up. It'll be a good thing. and we'll, we'll, You'll be savvy and uh, have all sorts of wonderful things happen. So when you talk about invoking, if you, need, if you need a little side note, just circle that and put up at the top, calling the name over. Uh, so invoking the name of the Lord or calling the name over people in baptism. The covenant name of God in the Old Testament uh, was written uh, as a form of uh, Hebrew consonants, uh, yod heh vav heh, um, and uh, ultimately that's the way you would know the name of God in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Since Hebrew's written from right to left instead of left to right, it would read this way, yod heh uh, vav heh. It's used as early as Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Now the reason that in, is important is because some scholars will try to say it come along later that there wasn't even really a Moses and a whole bunch of other garbage. But uh, that's okay. We can, we can handle that pretty easily today. Uh, in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, this is translated as Jehovah, but more often simply Lord, all caps, and God, all caps. All right, so we found archaeology now because they used to say, well, Moses couldn't even write because, you know, he was like ancient man. So probably somebody got together and made up this story, and that's what we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it wasn't compiled till the time of the exile when the children of Israel were carried off into captivity, and then somebody said, Mo wrote it. All right, and so we would say to that, uh, uh, something that starts with H and rhymes with heresy, what is it? Heresy, that's right. Okay. (laughs) 
All right, so the bi- biblical record shows not only does archaeology, because now they find these stones and they find tablets, where guess what? There's writing, so Moses could have wrote it. And a whole bunch of years of liberal scholarships thrown out the window in view of what the evidence says. And bi- the biblical record shows it to be ancient as, uh, as well. So I'm going to throw a little term at you, and if uh, uh, Brother Palmer can get ready to help me again. Um, it's, um, then begin men to call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's Lekrobeshim Yahweh. All right? To call upon the name of the Lord. It's often translated to call on the name of the Lord, which is right. That's a literal re- rendering. But it has the technical meaning to pronounce the name of Lord, of the Lord over an individual or group. It would be like this. It's, it's an idiom. Not an idiot. It's an idiom. All right, so an idiom is a manner of speech, right? So when I say someone's not worth their salt, what do I mean? They're not very good. They're worthless. Now, what does that mean? Where did it come from? Say again? Yeah, that's right. Good. So I'm in Louisiana. We go through a plantation house, and salt is such a scarce commodity, you could pay people with it back in the day. And they had these little bitty saucers, little bitty round things. I said, what are those for? I said, oh, those are the salt uh, uh, little holders. I said, what they would do is if a kid was misbehaving, they would uh, take his salt off as a form of punishment. He wasn't worth his salt. See? See, you don't even have to know the, the background, though, to understand the meaning, right? Because that's the way language functions. Or like when someone says, uh, give your hand in marriage. Not your whole body? You know, what does that mean? Or I never get this one right. A stitch in time saves nine. I never get that one right. I always have to ask for that. All right, now what does that mean? It means a little forethought can save you trouble down the line. And I don't know anything about that, so I have no clue. I can't even get it right when I try to say it. All right, but that doesn't matter because as long as you understand, you don't have to get the, so if I say the literal words, uh, to call upon the name of the Lord, uh, you might miss the intended meaning because it's rendered literally. So when we bring people in from like Africa, you have an exchange student, and they would say that person is not worth their salt. They're like, what? I know what salt is and I know what worth is. I don't get that at all because it's a manner of speech. It's the same thing that's going on when the Bible uses this phrase. All right, it's used in Genesis 4.26. There's this contrast of the two lines. You ready? Cain does not want to be in relationship with God, and he leaves the presence of the Lord. But Seth, the godly line of Seth, they stay in covenant with God, and the Bible says, then begin men to call upon the name of the Lord. Or because it's an idiom, you know it means to have the name of God called over them. They are in covenant right here in Genesis chapter 4, having the name of God called over them in covenant. That's why when you get to Numbers, it's not a strange thing when he's talking to them about how Aaron and his sons, you ready, the priest, would put his name on the people. We're going to talk about what that uh, looks like. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7, we have Moses being hid in the cleft of a rock, and the Bible says that God comes and pronounces his name, the Lord, the Lord. D. Primnan Niles, who's a, um, uh, a very sharp Old Testament guy, says this is the most important text in the Old Testament because it's God swearing with Moses. Right? And that's a, a powerful verse of Scripture. Not only that, grab Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. Because when you say the name of God's called over you, then you become his name called people. That's, by the way, when you talk about the Ten Commandments, don't take the name of the Lord in. And that means more than just, you know, you're out there saying, oh, Jesus or something. Uh, that means more than that. Now, you can apply that there, but what it means is to say you're the name called people and then live like you're not. That's the depth of that command, and that's why it's a fundamental in the relationship with God. You have it, Brother Palmer? Read for me. And that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David uh-huh. that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof. Yes. And I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, mm-hmm. that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And of all the heathen, which are okay. called... And all, and all the heathen, 
of all the heathen which are called by my name. Which are, Lord. which are called by my name. Now you have to understand, now we just read over that, but you have to understand how staggering that is to the Jewish consciousness. Because it's the pagan people, like Romans 1 people. Drunkenness, partying, revelry, all of the debauchery, the quintessential notion of, uh, or example of what it's like to live outside the covenant of God, even homosexuality. The crowning example. So all of that stuff, what is Paul saying? This is what it's like to live without the blessing and direction and covenant of God. Life spirals into chaos. All right, and so he tells the Jewish people, Amos, prophesying that there's going to come this time where God is going to take the goyim, the heathen, the Gentiles, upon whom his name, uh, which are called by his name. They're going to be his, ready, his name called people. That was staggering to Jewish people. You mean they're going to be the people of God? Remember, when uh, uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house, what did they do? They called him on the carpet. What are you doing down there at that, you know, heathen house? Right? Why? Because it, was, it didn't make sense to the Jewish mind that God's going to reach into the Gentiles and make them a part of the covenant people. As a matter of fact, I was riding down the road in uh, Indianapolis and uh, there was a guy in front of me who was Jewish. The reason I know is because of his bumper sticker. It said, Goyim Anoim. Which is an insider Jewish humor. It means you heathen people annoy me. You know, he's driving around with it out in front, but nobody gets it with Jewish people. And people know, you know, kind of the background a little. All right, so that's why this was such a, a staggering thing because now we're going to have Jewish, or not Jewish, but Gentile people called by the name of the Lord. All right, now that was staggering to them. To them. All right, so what did it mean then to invoke or call the name of the Lord over people? Well, there's three aspects of the power of the name of God. The first was ownership. If God named something, he owned it, right? So what would that look like? Uh, there are numerous places where you can see to name it was to own it. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we can see Joab is about to win the battle when he's trying to secure David's throne. And he calls David, why? Well, look at the context. He said, if I take possession, if I conquer and take possession, then it will be called by my name, not the city of David. All right, so to name, to name something in the same thing, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, the city of waters or the stronghold of Zion, you ready, becomes the city of David because he ultimately possesses it. Not only over things, but over people as well. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, God says, you are my people because I'm pronouncing my name over you. Not only over Moses, but out Sinai, he pronounces it over the entire people. And they become his people. Uh, that, that picture is a suzerainty treaty. Now, uh, what does that mean? Suzerain. It's a, it means, simply means high king. Right? So if you need a little cheat sheet, put it outside. Just high king. That's where another king would come and swear loyalty to a high king. All right? So the suzerainty treaty is where they would pledge loyalty. I pledge to do what you require to be your vassal. And so God, that's the very language of the Ten Commandments, by the way. People say, well, aren't you trying to read too much historical stuff in there? No, 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 no. What's fascinating is one of the vindications that ultimately um, Moses wrote the, uh, the, the Pentateuch was that uh, these treaties were found, and it matches exactly the Bible. And guess what? We can believe the Bible again. So I think God's watched over his word in lots of ways. All right, and in that particular um, ceremony, they would become his people, but not only over people, over sacred places. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 5, and, uh, and also verse 11, it says, he would cause his name to dwell there. Where? Over the temple or, or the tabernacle, and that means it becomes Yahweh's. Right? It becomes his place. But why? Because I will cause my name to dwell there. All right? Well, so the second thing it meant, First was ownership. The second was redemption. I promise we're going someplace good, so just hang on. All right, Exodus chapter 20 says, he is the Lord who redeemed. Now see, it's not Elohim. It's the covenant name of God. All right, and his pronouncement over Moses was linked also to his forgiveness uh, in Israel. So in covenant, he says, you will become my peculiar people. And that doesn't mean just weird. 
That's about as close as we can get in Hebrew. Peculiar people. Or literally, my, spe- my special uh, purchased treasure. Uh, there's no one like you in the earth. That's what it means. When you become my name called people, it means you are mine and there's no one like you in the earth. What does that look like? It's like my son. My son, he's my son. He bears my name. And because I'm in a phileo relationship, a parental relationship, a covenant with him as it were, then guess what? He can get what you don't get. All right, we're going to get there because Jesus later says, hitherto you've not asked anything in my name. But whatsoever you ask, you ready? In my name. That doesn't mean God give me a Lamborghini in Jesus' name. No, whatsoever you ask is my name called people that's in alignment with my will, in alignment with my covenant, in alignment with my purposes. I promise I will give it to you because there's nobody like you in the rest of the earth. You're my people. Right? right? So he redeemed them ultimately by the, uh, from the hand of Egypt and they became his people. I wish I had time to go through Psalm 106, um, but I don't. Okay, so I'll behave. Right? How did they, the Bible talks about them being delivered and, then the, and leading them out with a mighty hand. And then it says, then they believed his word. Right there's the conversion of Israel. They became his people when he redeemed them. Um, oh, are you okay? Can we go there for real, real fast? Okay, I want to prove it to you. I don't want to just do a summation. I want to be able to prove it to you. Psalm 106. Okay, praise ye the Lord. But look right there. It's, it's not Elohim, right? It's the covenant name. Praise ye Yahweh or the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is uh, tov in the Hebrew. He's good. For his uh, mercy endureth forever. Mercy, uh, chesed in the Hebrew. His mercy is uh, more than just mercy. It's covenantal promises. It's tender mercies. It's loving kindness. It's all of those things translated from that one little word in the Bible. Right, his mercy is uh, forever. Uh, who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Who can do this? Uh, blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times, those that have sworn covenant and operate there. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Right? See, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the name called people walking in covenant. He goes on to say he rebuked the, uh, nevertheless, he saved them, verse 8, for his name's sake, that he may make his mighty power to be known. He redeemed them. Why? To show you. Remember when Moses gets out and he says, Lord, if you leave them here in the wilderness, guess what? They're going to say, look, Yahweh couldn't do it. And your name's at stake. <laughs> See, that you should take some confidence that you got baptized in Jesus' name because he can't leave you high and dry. Why? Because uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation's tied to us. Not because you're so special, but because you're the name called people and there's no one else like you in the world. All right, so with this name, not only do you get ownership, you get redemption, you also get the Lord's presence. He promised that he would be present where his name was invoked or called. That's why he said in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, who shall I say sent me, God, Moses says, and what's his name? You tell them, I am that I am. That's as close as we can get in the Hebrew. It's I am that I am, but it's also I will be what I am. I am what I will be. It's total encompassing of what being is. It means if I've ever been a provider, I'll be a provider. If I've ever been a healer, I'll be a healer again. I can never cease being who I am. What was he saying? I will be what I am. I am what I build. See, and here when he steps in and he takes on the plagues of Egypt, he's in direct conflict with the Egyptian pantheon of gods. Each miracle was not just neat little parlor tricks. Like the cattle. Remember, Apis, the cow god of Egypt, was supposed to be reincarnated in every generation of Israel. And then you got these sick, sick cows walking around. What do you got? A bunch of sick gods. Even like the plague of boils, you couldn't all enter sacrifice or operate in the temple with a blemish on your skin. So imagine walking through Memphis where they said there was a thousand temples and there's a thousand closed doors. 
Imagine there being uh, two Egyptian people walking down the road and saying, what's going on? I don't know. All of the temples are closed. Have you heard about that crazy preacher coming out of the desert with his magic stick? Says he's uh, uh, one of the Israelites. What was God doing? God wasn't sneaking them out the back door. He was teaching his people because you're my name called people. You get not only my ownership and my redemption, you get my power and my presence and I'll be everything that I am when I come. I'm going to tell you that's right where it's at. His ability was to defeat the false gods proves he was the real God. He says, with my name comes my presence. With my name comes my power. And with my name comes my deliverance. What was he saying? I am. They're not. And he was teaching his people. Why? Because they got to learn some lessons about what it means to be the name called people. Because I'm going to take you into the promised land, but there are seven nations mightier than you. And never get this twisted. You'll never do it on your own power, but you're my people. And with my, with my covenant and my name's called over you, you get my power, you get my deliverance, and you get my help. All right, so the Lord's presence, Deuteronomy 12, 5 and 11, we see the name of the Lord guaranteed this. He said, I promise you that my name will be there. My people, which are called by my name, will humble. I promise I'm going to hear you. Even if you blow it, even if you mess it up and you get carried away into captivity, if you'll just come back, if you'll just turn back to covenant and say, I'm going to go back to the house of the Lord one more time and I'm going to submit to that covenant again. He said, I promise you my presence will be right there. All right? So, and remember, we got the prophets of Baal. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to conjure Baal, right? They're dancing and they're cutting sacrifices because they thought if you knew the secret name of a deity, you could conjure the deity. You could force the deity. All right, help me, Brother Palmer. But the Bible shows us that Yahweh refuses to be uh, 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 manipulated or to be conjured. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. You can't manipulate God. See, this is what it's going to be. You get my power, you get my redemption, you get my presence, but it's tied to covenant. Read for me, sir. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice. If you will obey my voice. Say, there's no such thing as Calvinism in the Bible. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. If you will obey. Yeah. Indeed, and keep my covenant. Yes. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Is that five and six? Yep. Yes, sir. You shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. These are the words you shall speak unto the children of Israel. If you align yourself with God, if you enter covenant, let his name be called over you, and then you walk with your God, guess what? You're going to be a nation of priests. You're going to be able to have an impact like you wouldn't dream. Why? Because I'm with you. Now, he won't be conjured, but literally he talks about his presence being with them. And it's panim in the Hebrew, literally before the face of. And that's where he talks about his countenance shining, looking down on you and saying, that's my daughter, that's my son. What are you going to do? I mean, you're going to take bless the kid down the street, but who are you going to take care of? You're going to take care of your baby. You're going to take care of your son, your daughter, and God's no different. In Genesis 4, 26, we see the contrast. People that are called by God's name are in covenant. But Cain leaves, you ready? The, before that shining affirmation, before that countenance, before the presence of the Lord, he left the presence of the Lord when he left covenant. All right, so what happens then, in contrast, is we become his people. We don't possess him. He possesses us. We're his treasure, the sheep of his pasture. And that means we walk in covenant with him. All right? So here's the problem. At the, end of the old cov- at the end of the Old Testament, people stopped saying the name of the Lord. They did it, uh, some would say the Zadokites did it to manipulate people to control the rights of the priesthood. But at any rate, they lost the pronunciation even uh, of the uh, presence of the Lord. Now, I think their intent was to not, Say, I'm not, well, I don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, they misread the intention of that command. It's saying, don't try to say your name called people and then act like you're not. It's like my mama said, when you leave this house, boy, you represent the Kilmans. You need to live up to your name. Yes, ma'am. All right? You, you, did anybody ever get that middle name thing? If I got Bobby, 
But if I ever got the Bobby Joe, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. So the reality was, ultimately, people stopped saying the name of God in the Old Testament. All right, in the New Testament, what we find then is not only did, and that wasn't God's intention, but in the New Testament, we find that, guess what's the guarantee of covenant today? Jesus' name baptism. Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. It's the same name of God in the Old Testament that's in the New Testament. I wish I could stop there and park, but I won't. All right, it's invoked at baptism. James chapter 2, verse 17. Grab that one for me, Rev. Thanks, sir. Look at him. He's anticipating me. Working him hard today. Yes, sir. 2, verse 7. James 2, 7. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Yeah. Do, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? Literally in the Greek, it's epikaleo. Uh, epi, upon... Kaleo uh, called, that name that's upon called. Don't they blaspheme that name that's been called over you? It's the same thing that says, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Literally, it's the same idiomatic expression. It's whosoever has the name called over them shall be saved. I had a mentor uh, talking about this particular subject and he had one of his uh, Trinitarian friends who was there and he said, oh, he said, that's a weak argument. I can't believe you're making that argument out of James 2.7. He said, well, uh, what, what translation do you have there in your hand? He said, I have the New Jerusalem translation. He said, well, I don't want you to read it for me there. And he says, uh, don't they blaspheme that worthy name called over you? All right, that's what it means. It's about Jesus' name baptism. As a matter of fact, grab the, uh, Acts. Did you already anticipate me? Terrible. Acts 15, verse 7. I can save you that one. Um, Ultimately, this is what's happening in Acts. He's quoting the passage from Amos 9. Where he says, the Gentiles are now going to be the owned people of God. How? By having the name of Jesus called over. Why wouldn't you want to be baptized in Jesus' name? I want to be his people. Not only that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, he says, and you know, all these sins about homosexuality and all these other things, effeminate, all these other tough sins. And he says, and such were some of you, but now you're washed, you're justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord. Look, that's where it's at. You got redeemed by being baptized in Jesus' name. Not only that, you get, man, I'm trying to behave. I love this stuff, though. James 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You should, look, his name's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you get Jesus, you get the presence of God. So Jesus' name, baptism in the New Testament, is ownership, redemption, and the Lord's presence. And if you're going to be owned, and if you're going to be redeemed, and if you're going to get the Holy Ghost, That's why he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Because when you come to God in repentance and say, I want to be in covenant with you, I want to walk with you, and you submit to water baptism in Jesus' name, and that name's called over you, he's going to take you as his possession, and you're going to start speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you utterance. That's not a small potatoes issue. Whosoever call, whoever's called by the name of the Lord will be saved because he'll fill you with his presence. When he comes, you will speak with other tongues. That's why Acts 2.38, it, look, you can't throw out Jesus' name baptism. I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Yeah, you show me one place in the New Testament where they did that, and I can go with you. But I'm going to tell you, look, every knee's going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes. See, that's the whole thing is wrapped up right there in redemption. And when you, you submit to Jesus' name, baptism, you have a repentant heart. Well, Brother Kilman, I know people that didn't get the Holy Ghost once they got baptized. Well, yeah, I know people sometimes repent a little piece at a time. Sometimes people come down in five minutes, bang, they got the Holy Ghost. Well, they didn't, they didn't get the name and called over them yet. No, 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 that's like a breach, baby. The water's still got to come. That's why in Acts chapter 10, guess what they got to do? I know you got the Holy Ghost, but now you got to go down in the name. <laughs> See, that's why, I, look, this is, that's why you shouldn't be intimidated. You should tell them, why wouldn't you want to be baptized in Jesus? Why, why, don't your pre, why doesn't your preacher baptize in Jesus' name? It's like Brother Mooney bumping into Rob Bell at a bookstore. Anybody know who Rob Bell is? All right, yeah, roll with Robbie. <laughs> Love wins. Right, he bumped into Rob Bell. He said, uh, looked at him, and Brother Moon, he said, I was in kind of casual attire. I had a jacket on, but casual stuff. He said, he looked at me. He said, are you a Pentecostal preacher? 
he said, uh, yeah, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And Rob Bell just kind of got in his face a little. He said, now why are you a Pentecostal preacher? You should never be intimidated, ever. He said, he looked right back at him and said, now why are you not a Pentecostal preacher? He said, now we said a couple other things, but we got, got kind of pointed and we realized we could say all we could say and remain gentlemen. But I'm going to tell you, why in the world wouldn't you want to stand in a pulpit somewhere and preach the sermon that happened at the birth of the church that ushered in the work of God? Why wouldn't you want to align yourself with the first sermon of the apostolic church that birthed the miracle into this world God intended? Essential. Because without, without that Jesus name baptism message, you're never going to get it. Because his redemption, his ownership, and his presence is tied to it. We who were not a people, he says, has he made a people? We were outside of the presence of God. We were outside of the promises of covenant. Gentiles without the blessing, without the promise. But he made us a people. He brought us into the beloved. He made of the twain, he said, Jews and Gentiles, one new man. Open the door for us to come in and call this by his name. Now are we the sons of God. I'm not ashamed of Jesus' name, baptism. I'm not going to mess with it one little bit. Why? Because it's essential to salvation. Now here's what happened. Unfortunately, the church started forgetting to use the name. All of a sudden, they come up with a Trinitarian formula. What happens? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Don't forget the name. Don't forget the importance of the name. That's why they said in Deuteronomy 6, as you rise up and as you lay down and as you walk in the way, you find teachable moments to teach your children the truths of what it's like to worship this one God. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is about. And you better, we gotta, we gotta teach these young people. Somebody's gotta get up strong and teach and preach that it's Jesus' name, baptism. Period. And, that, and that's faithful other wounds of a friend. If you really love people, you'll tell them the truth they need to do to be saved. You could be quiet and let them go to hell. Paul said, I'm free from the blood of all men. Why? Because I've shunned not to declare the full counsel of God. And I'm going to do it as tactfully as I can, as kind as I can. And I pray that my delivery is not a stumbling block for them. But if they want to be saved, why wouldn't you want to go down in Jesus' name? Why wouldn't you want that name called over you in covenant? All right, so here's what happens. People start reading the Bible. (laughs) Started speaking in tongues. They said, maybe, look, they they, they dismissed tongues. Maybe we need to read this book and figure out some other stuff they took out of the Bible. And guess what? They start reading about the revelation. They all baptize in Jesus' name. Well, why aren't we baptizing in Jesus' name? Well, let's see. They had to wait till the last uh, Jewish father, church father died before they could change the baptism to the triune formula. So I guess that's probably where it crept into the church. So we don't believe in all that council stuff anymore. So why not just go all the way back to the Bible and baptize in Jesus' name? Right, we're called by his name. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, now sometime, now we say this, this is the United Pentecostal Church sticker. The people of the name. What does it mean when we say we're the people of the name? I, now, I'm, please, if you got this bumper sticker on, don't go rip it off. Because with the right understanding, it's good. But sometimes I worry what it means. It seems like sometimes we say we own the name. God will not be conjured. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care where we're at. If we refuse to walk with God, he won't walk with us. And if we got, I don't care what kind of preachers they are. If they're my friend, they start walking away from the essentiality of Jesus' name, baptism. You can go down that road if you want. But there's no presence of God there. There's no power of God there. There's no redemption there. You can't take me down that road with you. Look, you've got to have enough courage. You've got to look people right in the eye and say, you must be born again. When are you going to say what Jesus said? You must be born again of water and spirit. You can't even see it, let alone enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's not hate. That's the truth. All right, so we don't own the name. The name owns us. And whatsoever you ask in my name, he said, I'll do it because a son gets what no one else can get. I, I, I'm going to help you and I'll bless you as much as I can, but I'll bankrupt myself to help and save my son. And God's all of the arsenal of heaven is behind his name called people. You just align yourself with God and he'll align himself with you. Well, let me give you some witnesses to the truth. All right, there's a, a little book over here. Forgive me, man, I'm, I'm tired. I, I don't know what's going on. All right. <laughs> I, got a, I got a couple books here. One of them, James Dunn, Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Great book written by a Baptist guy. He makes all of our... Have you read this book? Oh, you need this book. Okay. 
Okay. All right, James Dunn, Baptism of the Holy Spirit. His subtitle is A Reexamination of the New Testament Teachings of the Gift of the Spirit in Relationship to Pentecostalism Today. And what he does is he totally breaks down Pentecostalism's notions of God. Not us. Trinity Pentecost. People that say you can get saved and then the baptism of the Holy Ghost is something extra, like a spare tire. You can't, you don't have to speak in tongues, but you can. It's good. It's like a spare tire. It's good to have. You don't need it, but it's good to have in case you have a blowout. And what he says in that book, he says, no, look, he said, I know you Pentecostals make this argument. Here's your problem from the book of Acts. He says, when you look at the book of Acts, he says, in apostolic times, the speaking in tongues was considered the initial physical evidence of a person's having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay, why is that powerful? Because it's a Baptist guy. And he's saying what the, I read that whole book. We're trying to figure out what, when's he going to tear all this down? Waiting for the other foot to drop all the way through. And he didn't. As a matter of fact, some of our pre- preachers went to um, the Society of Pentecostal Studies and said, James Dunn agrees with us. I'm like, no, James Dunn doesn't agree with you. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, right here in his book he says. Well, we know James Dunn. We'll ask him. Okay. So they ask him, now, do you believe this? He said, yeah. And what did he say? He says, well, if you, look at, if you look at it, he said, this is what it is. Conversion in Acts is repentance, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ, and some type of charismatic expression, which is probably tongues. And they said, well, you know, these, these people over here, you know, these people, they believe this. And he said, yeah, I know they believe it. He said, well, are you saying that you need to do it? He said, well, why would you think it'd be okay not to obey the Bible? Ah, they start writing books against him. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you what's fun about this is there, look, here's my problem. There are Baptist people seeing this. There are all sorts of, and why in the world are apostolics walking away? I'm going to tell you, just stay right here where the truth is. You got the presence of God. You got the redemption of God. You got the promises of God on your side. Let me give you another one, just, just for kicks. Kelly McDonald's a Benedictine priest. Okay, I mean, if, if, a, if a Benedictine priest can see it. Look at what he says. He wrote in this book, he says, as for Pente- the Pentecostal, baptism in the Spirit in Acts 2, it goes without saying that the presence of the Spirit was manifest through the charismas of tongues and prophecy. For that, such is precisely the interpretation Peter gives it. It's kind of like Peter agrees. All right, now that's my, that, I'm going to tell you, that's right where we, we live. Now here's the question. We're losing essentiality today. You must be born again of water and spirit. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. The promise is to you. You get the promise of God's ownership, his redemption, and his presence. But not just to you, all those that are afar off, even today. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Whoever's going to be the name called has got to stop right there. Right, so uh, there's an organization today. I love them. It's my roots. I wasn't raised in the UPC. I was raised independent. My, my pastor came out of an organization. Our fellowship was predominantly this organization. Uh, about five years ago, they were about three votes from full fellowship with the Church of God in Christ. That's why, forgive me for this commentary, it always makes me nervous when we put certain types of people on our platform. What do they know about anointing? What do they know about singing under the unction of the Spirit? Truth of God so clear that it will shake a generation. That's why I love seeing these young people up here singing songs written by... I'm not saying, look, they write good songs. If they write the truth, sing the truth. But where are they gonna, when are they going to write a song on the Godhead? <laughs> it's got to be us. All right. So some things separate us, and one of these is essentiality, but that, that wonderful group is now uh, probably at this, what we would call their general conference. It's going to come out, and not from the floor. They're never going to let it hit the floor. They don't want it to be too much of a stir. But they're going to probably pass at the board level that Jesus' name baptism is no longer essential. 
See, when G.T. Haywood left the assemblies of God, it wasn't because he baptized in Jesus' name. They said, baptize in Jesus' name. It's okay. We'll baptize both ways. And they said, no, 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 no. There will be light in the evening time. The path to glory you shall surely find. It is the light today. You can't walk in partial truth. You've got to walk in the, in the truth that God has shown us. How can you be partially saved? It is the light today. It is baptized in Jesus' name. Young and old, repent of all your sins and you get the presence of God. The Holy Ghost shall enter in. The evening time has come and tis a fact that God and Christ are one. If you're waiting for Israel to write that one or if you're waiting on any other group to write that one, you're not going to find it. It's going to take an apostolic who walks in understanding and revelation to sing songs that will rally a generation and encourage a budding movement. All right, we're going to win the day. I promise that's true if we get this right. All right, so not only the Godhead, this doctrine of essentiality, John 3, 5, you must be born again of water and spirit. And like I said, God, all due respect, G.T. Haywood walked out of the assembly of God and they said, Haywood, we own all of the rights to your hymns. And he turned around and said, you may have my hymns, but I have the hymn writer in my heart. I remember Brother Urshan talking to us young men. He said, I remember the day my dad got a knock on the door in Indianapolis and G.T. Haywood walked in and said, I want to sing a song to you I just wrote. I see a crimson stream of blood. See, I'm going to tell you, if you just align yourself with God, I don't care who turns their back and walks away. God's going to bless his people. God's going to be with his people. You just stand squarely on this apostolic message and watch God vindicate because he's for his people. He's for the people of his name. The waterway. Look, they sang apostolic identity. You don't get more confrontational than that. Look, I, I say this at Music Fest most of the time. Did you know you could destroy the whole Old Testament and you could still, just with the book of Psalms, create everything they believed? Because we sing what we believe. See, I wonder sometimes if the songs we're singing, if we destroyed every bit of the preaching and the teaching in our movement, if we could find enough strength and enough clarity in our songs to shake us and say, everything we believe is right there in those songs. See, that's, that's where we need to be. I'm going to tell you, that's a strong, and we got him doing it. One of our seniors wrote a beautiful medley on the oneness of God. Aaron Yancey, it's coming, I'm telling you. It's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in him. <laughs> oh, my, I'm going to have to behave. Down from his glory, ever-loving sword. My God, my Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrow, grief, and agony. He came in as a suffering servant and died in my place. See, that's all in their songs. Look at, look at this. Before his expulsion from the assembly of God, Thoreau Harris startled his Assembly of God council by converting to the Jesus name baptism movement in 1916. That year he wrote, baptized in Jesus name, which turned into a rallying cry for the budding apostolic movement. And then he penned those wonderful familiar uh, words in that song, all that thrilled my soul in 1917. Today, today I gladly bear that bitter cross and scorn, reproach and shame. I count worthless praise of men, but lost, baptized in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to tell you, that'll win the day. It's essential. Why don't you sing about it being essential? Testify about it. Preach about it. Come on, preacher, reach up into that pulpit and thunder. There's only one way to God. G.T. Haywood wrote that beautiful song. I wish I, could tell, I, I wish I could just walk you through the hymnal and show you what we did at the founding of our movement when we said, look, this is, we're getting back to what the Bible says. And I don't care who you are. If you don't root yourself right here, then we parted companies, friend. And how can two walk together except they agreed? I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to say what he wants me to say. I'm going to preach what he wants me to preach. I'm going to stand square on the truth and let him vindicate me. Man, a true came down from heaven, bearing with it Jesus' name. Held in mystery through the ages, tis now spoken clear and plain. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Lord of heaven, Lord of hosts, and in Jesus is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
That's right where we need to be. So take some courage that you're apostolic to the bone and that you're the name called people and God is going to bless you. He's going to give revival to his people. He's going to empower his people because his name's at stake. And he's invested his name in you. My, my, could you just clap your hands? I know we're teaching, but just clap your hands for a moment. Encourage yourself in the Lord. We are his people called by his name and he is for us. Never intimidated, never ashamed, never going to equivocate, never going to leave. I know who I am. I know who my God is. I'm walking in the power of truth and understanding and the power of his spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, today would be a good day to say, I want to walk in covenant with God. I want redemption. I want his presence. I want his power working in my life. be a good day. I know I'm trying to behave. Look, I can't teach. I don't know how to teach you normal. I know I'm weird. You can be seated. I know I'm weird. But when I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then the last story, and then I'm done. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we got about 40 IBC students and the staff. And we go up, and there's a guy behind the counter. And he says, uh, he says, what you guys doing here? I said, well, I said, we're here to go to Baker Bookhouse. It has the largest used book section, a theology book section in the world, in the, at least in the United States, I rather. Uh, there's one over in uh, uh, Great Britain, I think it's a little bigger. I said, so we're here to buy used books. Love books, expose them to all sorts of thinkers and people from history. He said, wow, that's great. He said, so what religion are you? I said, uh, well, we're Pentecostal. We're apostolic Pentecostal. He said, now, Pentecostal, is that like, um, is that like Catholic? No, no, kind of not like Catholic. He says, oh, he said, but you believe in the Trinity. And look, you, you got to be kind, but you got to be pointed. And I said to him, um, no, we wouldn't necessarily believe in anything that the Bible doesn't teach, so we wouldn't believe in the Trinity. <laughs> See, you can be kind and yet pointed. And so he said, uh, oh, I said, well, for instance, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Uh, you know, go make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? I said, and I said, what's the name of the Son of God? He said, uh, Jesus. I said, that's right. Matthew one twenty one. You shall have a son, title, call his name Jesus. I said, so his, his son's not his name, right? It's a title, right? His name's Jesus, right? I got him. Because if son's not a name, father can't be a name and spirit can't be a name. Listen, they're all titles of the one God. I said, Jesus said, I'm coming my father's name. Hebrews 1 shows that he inherited his name from his father. He said, I'm going to send back the comforter in my name and I will be in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see, I, and I said to him, so yeah, we wouldn't really necessarily believe in anything. And so he said, oh, so I... I <laughs> I said, well, Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in the other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it's Jesus' name. He said, oh. And so I said, okay, good. So I'm walking upstairs, and, uh, um, and he's coming out of one of the rooms. He's got a Gideon with him, one of the Bibles. He said, hey, are you going into your room? I said, yeah, yeah, I was going to get some shut eye. He said, well, I want to talk with you. I said, well, I would love to talk with you some more. And he said, well, you're questioning my baptism. Look, don't ever let people get away with that. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not questioning your baptism. Now, if the Bible's doing that, that's something else, but I'm not questioning your <laughs> Let them fight with the Bible. Get your ego out of the way. Let it be about, don't, don't worry about spiking some number and bless God, I want somebody to the Lord. No, just forget it. Sow seed. Trust that God does his business. And so I, I said, well, yeah, let's go down. And so we talk, and I just read, you know this, you were taught it in uh, Sunday school. Go to Acts chapter 2. You should be able to do this in your head. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. You should be able to do that in your head. If you can't, just repeat that mantra until you get it nailed. Go to Acts 2.38. Now, how did they baptize her? Mm, Jesus' name. That's right. So now go to Acts chapter 8. Now, he commanded them what? To be baptized in Jesus' name? That's right. I said, now, you go to Acts chapter 10. You got some, you know, uh, some of uh, Paul, you know, they're traveling through the upper coast of the disciples. How did he command them to be baptized? Uh, sorry, that was Acts 19. At Cornelius' house, Holy Ghost falls, he commands him, can any man forbid water? About verse 44 there, right? Yeah, yeah. They baptize him how? In Jesus' name. And then before I can even say anything, he says, yeah, yeah, but that doesn't say to be rebaptized. 
I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, this is really unfair. I said, funny you should mention that. Let's go to Acts 19. What does he find? Some of John's disciples, and he's, they're walking around, and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, I'm going to tell you, that would be something tough to say to most of the churches in this town. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What I thought when I believed, I received the Holy Ghost. Uh-uh. You need something else. Right? And he says, uh, we don't even know if there is a Holy Ghost. And you know what, what, you know what his first, the apostle's first thing is? Hmm, must be something wrong with your baptism. Yeah, because if you don't get that name called over you, you're just going to fall short. And there's no wonder people are having, I'm going to tell you, denominal Christianity out there is trying really hard. But if they get baptized in Jesus' name, guess what? They'll be Pentecostal. So he says, he says uh, and he commanded them to be, we don't know any baptism except John's baptism. Good Baptist boys. And so he says, he commanded, and, and what, to be baptized. And, and there it is. And, and you've got to appreciate, this is a guy in his late 40s. And here I am, just a younger, younger guy, young whippersnapper, telling him. And he's visibly shaken. And he says, I, I just don't know if I believe this. And I looked at him and I said, look, I said, don't, this, my agenda is not to take you out in some fountain and dunk you in Jesus' name, in, in baptism in Jesus' name tonight. Now, if you want to be baptized, I'd love to baptize you. I said, but what you need to do is you need to come to this book and say, what does it teach? And Lord, speak to me about the truth that is in these verses. Because I'm going to tell you, if you just tell people the way it is and love, God will reveal the truth to them. We got him connected with a church in Grand Rapids. Just sow seed and believe the truth and watch God give you a harvest. Amen, amen. Let's stand. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kilmer, for this wonderful teaching. Amen. We have CDs in the back, and they're $2 a piece, and so you can buy all three for six, and they have plenty of them. Uh, and, if, and if we run out, you perhaps might put your name and mail and address on a list, and we can get you some more. Amen.